0: Okay, Warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird.
1: Hey, Warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. We started this podcast because mental health is complicated
2: and the stigma surrounding it can make us feel alone. So we are here to share authentic stories in order to normalize and prioritize mental health. We believe in professional therapy. We both use it on our own healing journeys, but we also know it isn't one size fits all. So we are here to provide tools from our own experiences, as well as those from our guests and professionals that come on the show. Thank you for being here as we navigate the complexities of mental health and mental illness together. Remember, hold on warriors. We're gonna make it.
0: Warrior.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Unqualified Therapist. Hey, hey, everybody. How's everybody feeling? So let's do a mental health check-in. How are you doing, Amy? I am doing well. I am trying to use what we talked about with gratitude, and so I have deep gratitude. Um, My dad had his last cancer surgery. It went really well. But I spent Friday helping him return home from the hospital and all day there, also worked at the same time. And then I was committed to taking my daughter to see hairspray downtown at eight o'clock. I thought the start time <laughs> so late was seven. And I know that's only an hour, but I was like, I think I might just fall asleep during it. And I've done that before. And she's like, You're <laughs> snoring at a Broadway show, mother. So yeah. Uh-huh. So I was I was very scared. And I was like, I cannot <laughs> fall asleep during this. I cannot I cannot. So I got home and she was like, Oh, you look rough. And I was like, Yeah, exactly. Because I've been, you know, doing all of these things today. So I had a magic mind. And I thought maybe this will work. I know it's in the evening, but maybe this will do it. And I'm not even kidding you. So I, I shook it up, I drank it. And I felt like a different person stayed up through the whole entire show. And she wanted to stay for question and answers. So we didn't get home until midnight. Midnight is like 4 a.m., I swear. (laughs) Well, I mean, if I'm going out and I've rested during the day, okay. But this was a full-ass day before I even got to the show. I'm going to tell you I'm a little bit, like, attached to Magic Mind now whether it be in the morning before work or this one time I used it to get through the rest of my day with all of the obligations that I have in a day. It was amazing. I I was surprised. And I I, I shouldn't say that as they sponsor us, but I was surprised. (laughs) and it totally worked and i was able to enjoy the show and not embarrass my daughter (laughs) okay so i have to know though were you able to go to sleep that night because i haven't taken it at night yet i've only taken it during the morning i was i was but i mean i'm also someone who coffee doesn't really like affect, and that's another reason why i like magic mind because i swear to god coffee's just like the thing i do where with this i actually feel alert i have been
1: very very tired lately and i think that just goes along with my like cycle of hormones <laughs> yeah and i think you know that i just every few weeks i just get very very tired and this has helped me to bring me back up but it also so i don't feel the effects of like being jittery and but i do feel the effects of the relaxed without being tired i feel the effects of it calming my anxiety i feel the effects of it helping me focus and that seems to last for hours and hours. And I'm I really That's amazing.
2: Am thankful for that. Yes. Yeah. So now if you guys want to, you can get 20% off of their already amazing deal with therapists 20, you can get over 50% off of a subscription. The best part is is that you can cancel, pause, do any of those things through text, email. It's very easy. That would be Therapist 20 on top of their already incredible discount. And if you just wanna try it one time, it's Therapist 20 as well and you'll get 20% off the top. So since this is all natural, it's safe to use and it's super delicious actually
1: too, which is kind of crazy to me because I feel like these natural things sometimes can be gross, but this is delicious. It has a great citrusy taste. And it also benefits start to build with daily use. So the more that you take it, the more you feel the effects and the longer lasting they are. That's very true. Amy is now having this like total addiction, you know, healthy addiction to
2: it. I was like, excuse me, um, magic mind, when can we get more? Um, it's an extremely healthy addiction because it's just this, ha- and it, I don't know, it's a mood booster as well. I will say that. Yes, absolutely so you guys should check it out yes if you want
1: to naturally reduce your stress levels and feel that mood boost and that energy boost go to magic mind and use our code therapists 20 this
2: week we have a very interesting guest and we learned so much from my conversation with her this week sarah interviewed tracy conan a forensic accountant Tracy has been investigating fraud for more than 25 years, but she didn't always want to be a forensic accountant. With a dream of one day being a prison ward, Tracy went to Marquette University in Milwaukee to get a criminology degree. A class on financial crime investigations reminded her how much she loved Encyclopedia Brown books as a kid. I loved Encyclopedia Brown! (laughs) She, She continued her criminology degree but added accounting and economic courses so she could sit for the CPA exam. And here Tracy is finding money in cases of corporate fraud, high net worth divorce, and other financial shenanigans. I love that she put that at the end there. (laughs) Shenanigans? Yeah, financial shenanigans. (laughs) Because I listened to that interview that Sarah did with Tracy, and there is a lot of financial shenanigans that go on, specifically in relationships. Yeah, I mean, this conversation was wild. I was so taken aback
1: by these things, and I have to say that that just shows how... How lucky I am to
2: have never experienced anything like this. So it was a scary thing to think about. It really was. And I think that a lot of the situation she was talking about was like more of an abusive situation. So domestic abuse. But one of the things that I think that our listeners should be aware of is that something that I experienced is when you have a partner who has a mental illness that can cause a lot of the same things I guess, but for different reasons. And so a lot of the, you know, looking into your account and trying to figure things out that she was talking about, I had to do that. Because in manic episodes, that's the sort of thing that occurs is that, you know, money is just taken and then lied about. Just another reason that even if you're not in an abusive marriage, that it's a good idea to take a look at your finances. This week, we just really dug into financial
1: abuse, which was a new term for me.
2: According to the National Network to End Domestic Violence, they define financial abuse as a common tactic used by abusers to gain power and control in a relationship. The forms of financial abuse may be subtle or overt, but in general, they include tactics to conceal information, limit the victim's access to assets, or reduce accessibility to the family's finances. Financial abuse, along with emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, include behaviors to intentionally manipulate, intimidate, and threaten the victim in order to entrap that person in the relationship. So it's just keeping someone in the relationship by holding or lording over this idea that their financial security comes from being with their partner. I mean, what I found really
1: shocking is that according to NNEDV.org, which is our source here, financial abuse is often cited by victims of abuse as the main reason that they stayed with or returned to an abusive partner, and that financial abuse occurs in 99% of domestic violence cases.
2: 99? hmm Wow. That's a very common tactic then. Yes. Just about everyone. I think it's just something that we don't really talk about as an exclusive or as an
1: individual form of abuse. I think it's just kind of goes along with the other types of abuse that people are experiencing.
2: Some people just really trust their partner. And again, I don't believe that it was abuse. I believe it was his illness, but I will never, ever, 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 and I don't think any healing would allow me to do this, let anyone else ever be in charge of my finances or share a bank account with anyone. I understand. I'm sure people who come out of it as well feel the same way. You know, you hold it tight. Right. I wanted us to share some of the common methods that abusers
1: will use to have financial control over their partner.
2: The first one is forbidding
1: the victim to work at all. Can also sabotage work or employment opportunities by stalking or harassing the victim at the workplace or causing the victim to lose his or her job by physically battering
2: prior to important meetings or interviews. Or emotionally, I'm sure as well. Mm -hmm. Forbidding the victim from attending a job training or advancement opportunities. Controlling how all of the money is spent. Not including the victim in investment or banking decisions. Not allowing the victim to access bank accounts. Sorry, this one really gets me. Withholding money or giving an allowance. Ugh. Yeah, woof, no. Yeah, right? <laughs> Forcing the victim to write bad checks or file fraudulent tax returns.
1: And that's oh, that's so scary because wow. it's like putting the onus then on the victim who can also then be legally responsible for these things.
2: That's an abuser playing the long game. Yes. Running up large amounts of debt on joint accounts. Refusing to work or contribute to the family income. Withholding funds for the victim or children to obtain basic needs such as food and medicine.
1: Hiding assets. And we'll hear from Tracy coming up that that is a huge red flag.
2: Stealing the victim's identity, property, or inheritance. Forcing the victim to work in a family business without pay. <laughs> wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So then if you ever leave, you've never really been paid. You don't have any money. Mm -hmm. You don't have any experience or nothing you can put on a resume because they would be your boss. Right. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Refusing to pay bills and ruining the victim's credit score. Forcing the victim to turn over public benefits
1: or threatening to turn the victim in for, quote, cheating or misusing benefits. Filing
2: false insurance claims.
1: And last on this list, refusing to pay or evading child support or manipulating the divorce process by drawing it out by hiding or not disclosing assets.
2: So this is a heavy one, but it's important and it's something we've never covered before. Tracy talks to Sarah about some things that she has available that can help you, especially if you're going through a divorce and you really want to take a look at your family's financial assets on your own and you want to do a little bit of investigating. So while this is different than many of the topics we bring to you, it is super informative and I hope that you learn something from the conversation that Sarah has with Tracy and enjoy the episode
1: we have a super interesting and intriguing guest with us. Her name is Tracy Conan. She is a forensic accountant and she has come on the show today to talk to us about something super relevant to all of you. When we go through relationships and relationship changes, perhaps divorce is part of those relationship changes, money can be a big red flag issue that pops out for a lot of you so Tracy has come on today to tell us about her guide the divorce money guide which is an on and online learning platform welcome Tracy thank you so much for coming on with us today
0: thank you for having me Sarah yeah,
1: absolutely so let's just dive right in Tracy tell us what inspired you to create this guide. I know that you are a day during the day you're a fraud investigator that's your day
0: job so how did you get to this point of creating this guide for everyone Well, like you said, I am a fraud investigator, so I find money for people. And that might be on the corporate side where there are companies with executives stealing money, doing all sorts of shenanigans with the financial statements. It might be families fighting over money. It might be people getting divorced. What I do in those divorce cases is look at bank statements, credit card statements, tax returns, try to figure out where the money went. And all very interesting to me but traumatic for the people who have to go through this because divorce is bad enough without also worrying about, has my spouse hidden money? I've been working in this field for, gosh, over 25 years. And the bottom line is forensic accounting is super expensive. And so there are so many people, yes, who can't access the services of a forensic accountant. That really bothered me. And I just wanted to help people. And I thought, there's gotta be a way to help people Do it themselves at a more reasonable cost so that if you have questions about money in your marriage, you can get those questions answered and you can take control and find out more about what's been happening to the money in your marriage. You don't even have to be in the process of divorce to use what we call the divorce money guide. Um, If you are simply, you know, wanting to know, having some questions answered, it's a great resource for that. So that's what inspired me to create it really is to make the forensic accounting stuff more accessible to the average person
1: well that is a beautiful thing that you are doing i'm very thankful for people like you that take these expensive services that can be out of reach for some and make them
0: accessible to the masses i don't you know have any illusion that the divorce money guide replaces fully replaces a forensic accountant because you're not going to become a forensic accountant overnight But I can promise you that I can show you some super easy stuff that anyone, even people who aren't good with numbers can do to figure out if there is something funny going on with their money. What are some red flags where you would say, okay, I think I need to grab this guide and take a look at it? That is a fabulous question because I can run down for you a list of 50 red flags of potential financial fraud in your marriage. But how do you know if it ever rises to the level of needing to really dig into the finances right so i created an assessment a free assessment 15 questions that you can go through and we talk through some of these red flags have you ever seen these kinds of things in your marriage and when you're done i kind of tell you you know hey looks pretty good or gosh you really have something to worry about some of the really common red flags that we do see are changes in behavior. So a spouse starting to act more secretive or maybe denying you access to financial information, doing things like trying to get you to sign tax returns without being able to look at them, sign legal documents without having a chance to read them, understand them, maybe even talk to an attorney of your own, money being spent in ways that your spouse has never spent money before or your spouse spending without talking to you before they spend large amounts of money. Gosh, I could run down an entire laundry list of red flags. I bet. How much does gaslighting play a role in
1: your work with people? Are you hearing stories coming from your clients where they say, well, they keep
0: telling me I'm crazy or you know what I'm talking about? What you just asked me is precisely why I created this assessment. Because as I was doing the Divorce Money Guide and putting all this material together, and I was doing the section on the red flags because I wanted people to be able to kind of self-identify. I started thinking through what happens in these divorces that I work on. And that's exactly it. It's you're crazy. You're paranoid. There's nothing going on. You're nitpicking. And of course, someone who's cheating on you or hiding money from you or spending money on things that they shouldn't spend money on, like drugs and gambling or whatever the case may be. Of course, their dishonest little selves are going to say, nothing's going on. You're nuts. So I created that assessment thinking I want someone to have an objective way to assess if this is a big deal or not a big deal, because there are some red flags that quite frankly, aren't that big of a deal when they stand alone. But there are other ones that are a huge deal. Like if you know, your spouse um, has been engaged in an affair in the past, that's a huge red flag because unfortunately that is behavior that repeats itself often. And affairs are really expensive and have to occur with money that you're hiding from your spouse. So affairs are like a huge red flag of financial infidelity, financial problems, right? So so your question couldn't be more on point. Yes, gaslighting comes into it in a huge way.
1: I am hearing you say financial infidelity, and it's a phrase that is brand new to me. I think I can, you know, kind of come up with what that would mean, but could you just explain to me and the rest of our listeners what that exactly entails?
0: Very simply lies about the money. That could be secret spending, hiding of money, being dishonest about what you've spent the money on, going outside of agreements that you have about money. Many couples have a threshold where they say, neither of us is going to spend more than X dollars without talking about it first. And if your spouse is spending beyond that limit and not talking to you, that is financial infidelity. Now, it is it overlaps with financial abuse. Two separate concepts, but they have a lot of intersection. Financial abuse is where someone is using the money to control you um, in some way. That might be limiting what you can spend, interrogating you about what you spend, not allowing you to spend maybe flaunting their spending while limiting yours, Um, using money as a means to control you, maybe so that you can't leave them or so that you can't have any independence in the relationship. So financial infidelity and financial abuse can have a lot of crossover though. That is so scary. (laughs) You're learning so much today, aren't you?
1: I am learning so much as you're saying that. I was like, wow, that's such a form of emotional abuse. But it's its own thing, though, too, because I was thinking, oh, that would fall under emotional abuse. And I'm sure it does. But it's its own entity because that it can be a way of controlling you. If you don't have access to money to leave, how do you exit the situation? That's that's tough. Do you have any kind of tips for anybody that if
0: they're going through this have how they can gain financial independence to leave a situation like that? When I started creating the Divorce Money Guide and I was thinking about who is the person who most needs this type of product. I was thinking about the stay at home mom who does not have an income source of her own, who has, you know, school age children and feels trapped. It is really difficult to, at some point in the marriage, assert that financial independence. So I can sit here and say, stash away some money of your own in an account of your own. That's easier said than done many times. If you haven't to this point in your marriage had access to your own money to all of a sudden get that access can be really, really difficult. One of the ways that I suggest maybe approaching this often the husband is in the position of controlling the money, controlling the budget, because if you're a stay at home, He's the breadwinner, and it seems like a natural thing for him to therefore control the money. When I say control right now, it's not necessarily in a bad way, right? In most marriages, someone handles the finances primarily. If you're in a position where your spouse is handling that money and is in control of it. One of the best ways that I found to talk about this or get started towards some potential financial independence is to have the conversation that you want to be more involved with the money. And a simple way is to say, I'm really concerned. What if something happens to you? What if you're in a massive car accident and you end up in a coma? What if, God forbid, you die suddenly? I don't know where our money is, how much we have, how the bills are being paid, what's on auto pay and what's not. I'd like to learn about that and become a little bit more involved. And that would get you on that path to hopefully being able to create some more financial independence for yourself. I really hope that if somebody out there listening is in that situation, they can take these tips and and really make a difference with their lives in it. Well, I understand, you know, if someone is in a situation of abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, financial, the tips that I'm going to offer are much easier said than done. I certainly acknowledge that. And so don't think that I'm not taking that seriously. If you are in some sort of danger physically or otherwise, I know that trying to assert some financial independence could put you in more risk. And so I wanna be very cognizant that these tips aren't gonna be able to be used by everyone. Right. Before we started recording, Tracy and I were sort of
1: bonding over our demise into the MLM world, and it was something that she said she does not like talking about, and I don't love talking about it either, but when you were saying that the person that you had in mind was the stay-at-home mom and wanting to find financial independence, I could not help but think about the things that come and approach you as opportunities, and a lot of times that can be an MLM. And you think, okay, this might be my path to financial freedom because I know that when I was getting into LuLaRoe, financial freedom was like their phrase. Like they used that. They would throw that at us all the time. And I was like, yes, that's what I want. I want financial freedom. That's why I'm here. And, you know, getting yourself into thousands of dollars of debt of, you know, in, in clothing and leggings was not financially freeing to me at all. But, but they were that was buttery the... soft. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> They were selling that shit like it was, you know, gold. I think that sometimes that's a trap that we can all fall into. So I know it's not our favorite topic, but I feel like
0: since we have the background in it, we should discuss for a minute. MLMs are masters of financial abuse. And what's so insidious about it, it makes its appearance as though they want you to have financial freedom. And that's what's so insidious about it is because they know that nearly everyone who gets involved in MLM is going to lose money, right? An astronomically high number of people are going to lose money, almost everyone. And yet they tout this financial freedom. They give you these stats, like in Mary Kay, my former MLM of choice. (laughs) You know, it was all about her highest check in one month was $10,000. Her highest check was $22,000 in one month. They know, number one, everyone's doing that math, times 12, what's that per year? Mm -hmm. Even though that was a one-time thing that never happened again for that person. They know that that high check, as Mary Kay reports it, does not have all sorts of deductions that come out of it before Mary Kay even sends you a dime. They know that that high check does not include all the business expenses that you have to pay out of that. And that woman getting that high check of $10,000 a month, for a stay-at-home mom is thinking, oh gosh, 120 grand a year, I could do that, right? Well, what they don't realize is that When all is said and done, if that woman has $3,000 left over that she can spend, she's lucky. And it it makes me nervous because I think that, you know, a lot of women, and I I say women
1: because it is predominantly a woman saturated concept of MLMs, but people who get involved with that, with MLMs, I think a lot of times are doing so because they're either already in a financial situation that they want to get out of, or they want to gain financial independence from someone like a partner or parent. And so it's it's money driven,
0: I would say most of the time. It's interesting how the MLMs, when you point out um, the data in their income disclosures and you point out how nobody's really making any money, they say, oh, that's because nobody wanted to make money anyway. You forgot that so many people just wanted to do this as a hobby. They just wanted to make friends. They didn't wanna make money. And that's BS. They recruit with the money financial freedom, extra money on the side. They know that people are getting into it because they want to make money. If I wanted a hobby, I don't need to pay you thousands of dollars to have a nonsense hobby of going to rah-rah MLM meetings. Sorry. (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. This is right on track with the
1: dangers out there with things like that. And we need to be careful on a lot of fronts when it comes to your money, but that was just one that just popped because of the personal experience I have and our shared experiences with
0: that that popped into my head when you were talking about that. Well, it's really interesting because as I was rolling out the Divorce Money Guide in summer and looking at how I was going to market it and who I was going to try to get in front of and what I was going to do on social media, my husband said to me, what are you going to do about the MLM stuff? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you have this massive anti-MLM site. And he said, the truth is there are a lot of women in MLMs who need that Divorce Money Guide because MLMs are a factor in a number of divorces. MLMs cause financial wreckage. People are needing to get a handle on their finances. They could use your product, but I would hate for them to not be interested in it because they're put off because you talk about MLMs in a negative light. And I said, I hear you, I feel you, and I gotta keep talking about MLMs, sorry. Yeah, you know what? When you find your voice and you know that it's
1: making a positive difference, even if it's a tough one to do. I'm proud of you for standing up for what you believe in and, and still speaking your truth around that. That's tough. So, Tracy, there are the scary red flags, and then there are red flags that are more subtle. Have you come across situations where there's financial infidelity because they're planning on exiting the relationship without the other person knowing just
0: yet? I certainly have worked in cases like that. I think... The most typical thing that I see though is a situation where there is a spouse who just hasn't been involved with the money and they just don't know. They say, you know, I always trusted my husband. I think he was doing okay things with the money, but now that we're getting divorced, I'm really not sure. So there is that kind of continuum where it's like, okay, now that we're getting divorced, I feel like I need a gut check on this to see what's going on. And so that's the less scary end of the spectrum and it's very very common what i do see that is super common though that makes me a little bit sad is a lot of shame when someone hasn't been involved with the money actively and doesn't know what's been going on they feel ashamed and i am here to tell everyone don't feel ashamed this is how most marriages work most marriages statistically one spouse takes care of the money and the other person is kind of hands off it's all taken care of we trust our spouses So it's nothing to feel ashamed about, but I know that that's a very common feeling. Right. Do you have any tips even for for healthy relationships so that just in
1: case if something, if the unexpected happens and a relationship comes to an end, that
0: you're not in a situation that's too scary? It's really about becoming more informed. So going back to having that discussion, I'd like to learn more. And then on a monthly, routine basis, looking at your bank statements for your accounts, logging into online banking to see what money is being spent on, to check balances, check those balances in the retirement accounts. And if you have investment accounts, check your loan balance on your house. You know, one thing that I've seen all too often is a couple has been married for 10 or 15 years. They've owned a home the entire time of the marriage. Now they're getting divorced. Wife is a stay at home and says, well, I'm going to get, you know, I'm entitled to half of the equity in the house and then finds out there isn't any equity because there was uh, a home equity line of credit taken out and all that money is gone. And so now there's no equity in the house. And so staying on top of things like that is super important. Just knowing what is that loan balance? running a credit report on yourself every month to make sure that there's no credit cards or other debts that pop up associated with your name that you didn't know about. Those are all those protective types of things that you can do on a routine basis to stay on top of things. That just sounds safe just in general, even if it's not your partner, but just to even know
1: like fraud anywhere can happen. It doesn't have to be your partner that could be the one that's
0: perpetrating it, I guess. You're at all absolutely times. correct. So I was you know going through this process again of creating the divorce money guide and i was like but but there has to be a way to like reverse engineer this there has to be a better way to protect people before they get to the point where that house is you know over mortgaged or the uh, 401k has been cashed out without your knowledge and things like that so i created the marriage money guide as a tool for people to ah. use as they are going into marriage or early in marriage to talk to them about the different options they have for managing their money together, you know, a spectrum of keeping your money all separate to combining it all or somewhere in between, how to have money conversations, what kinds of things to stay on top of on a monthly basis, prenup or no prenup, all those kinds of things, I think are super important to think about if you are, you know, entering into marriage or early in that marriage, or gosh, I I guess even if you're already, Deep into it, but you think, "Hey, we need a reset on the money." That is so great because I'm thinking
1: here as you're as you're talking about the divorce money guide. I was like, maybe this divorce money guide is good for everybody, but you have a separate one for the marriage money. That's that's phenomenal.
0: I'm trying to cover it all for
1: everyone. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that there are resources like this out there, and thank you for creating them. Why do you think that money is such a difficult conversation to have? Period. With basically anyone.
0: We were all raised so differently with money, very different money values in different families. And that makes it difficult because odds are when you come together with your partner, you're going to have a different approach to money. But I also think that a lot of us have shame regarding money because of how you grew up. Now what's interesting for me is um, I come from a family that didn't have a lot. But we always had meals. We were always fine. We had um, a nice house, Uh, but we were budgeted pretty tightly because my mom stayed home. And I was taught very good money management skills, but somehow in my adult life, I always feel like I'll never have enough money. I always worry that I will not, not have enough, no matter how well I do. And So somehow I I think that comes from my childhood and I had good examples with the money. Um, but that makes it really difficult, you know, and then your spouse had a different experience with money as well. And it makes those conversations so difficult. But one of the ways that I counsel people to help get over that is to have frequent short money talks. So if you can talk weekly, awesome. If you can talk even more often, Even more awesome. I'm talking a five or 10 minute money conversation where we're talking about are there any big bills that are coming up? Hey, how is our savings goal for the whatever that we wanted to buy? Those types of things. Because the more routine you can make the conversation, the less scary it is. That makes 100% sense.
1: I don't know why I'm not implementing that myself since I do that with mental health. You know, that's we're like, the more we talk about it, the less the stigma exists and the more we can feel comfortable. But that applies to everything, including money. And I think that's something that might contributing
0: to causing a block with, with money issues too. Well, you know, many times we were raised being told it's not polite to talk about money. So you don't ask mm-hmm. someone how much they mm-hmm. make or how much they paid for their house. And, and I still agree. It is a, a, a kindness to not ask those kinds of questions because it's none of your business. Sure. But right. it, when you're told it's not polite to talk about money, that's not true. There are certain things about money that it's not polite to talk about or ask about, but there's lots about money that we should be talking about.
1: Yes, this is all so interesting and intriguing to me. And I don't mean this to ask in like a salacious way at all, but do you have any cautionary tales that can help people kind of grasp the situations that they could find themselves in? Anonymous, of course.
0: Anonymous, of course. Uh, one of the stories that I really like to tell is about a woman in Chicago, whose divorce I was working on, and I was going through all of their spending, going through those bank accounts, looking for transactions that looked funny, withdrawals of of cash. You know, was there a ten thousand dollars withdrawal of cash? Do we know where that went, or was money transferred to an account that she never knew about, or were there, you know, hotel bills or or dinners out that were paid for that she said, "Wait a second, that doesn't look right." So I was going through all of that and everything looked pretty routine. I wasn't finding anything unusual until I came across a check that had been written out to a utility company in Arizona. And this family um, had a good bit of money. They They were well off. And so I asked her the question, why were you paying a utility bill in Arizona? And I was expecting the answer to be one of two things, what I usually see in these cases. Either they're going to say we have a vacation home which I thought would have been weird that they hadn't told me about it before, but let's ask the question. Or she was maybe going to say, oh, we ended up paying our in-laws electric bill for whatever reason, something like that. Well, her answer was, there is no reason for us to be paying an electric bill in Arizona. So a private investigator got involved. As it turns out, her husband had purchased a property in Arizona that his girlfriend was living in. He had established bank account at their bank in his name only that he used to write to pay the bills for this property out of and one month he made a mistake and wrote that electric bill out of their joint account instead of that secret account and so we found this property we found the girlfriend Wow! showing you how one little detail like that can expose it all Wow I mean the lengths that he went to to cover that up right is well shocking. even when he was found you know it was oh oh the rental property that i have we all knew it wasn't a rental property and it didn't take much to right. find out who was living there i don't want to make everybody paranoid but right <laughs> check your money check your money well and watch your spouse's behavior you know i yeah. i said it Towards the beginning, when we talked about red flags, I said, look for a significant change in behavior. I think probably 90% of the cases that I work on, my client can say, there is a point where I noticed things were changing. Maybe someone becoming more secretive about their phone, having time that's not accounted for, more secretive over financial documents. I mean, something as simple as we have a filing cabinet drawer that always had all the tax returns in it and now they're not there that's bizarre and weird that's not normal behavior Mm -hmm. to go take the tax returns out of the place that they've been forever right so you know the gaslighting in that situation would go like oh well i did a thing and i didn't think we need them anymore and so i shredded them and whatever okay don't don't take that as the answer if you found some documents that were always there and now they're missing Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I shredded them. Why are you so paranoid? Don't be so paranoid. Right, because normal people, if they thought that it was a good idea to shred them, they would go to their spouse and say, hey, remember that drawer where the income tax returns always are? I was thinking we could shred those because we have digital copies of them, but I just wanted to let you know. Like normal people will tell you before they do something like that. The thing is that I don't want to make everyone paranoid, right? Right. It's not... It's not the Oprah of fraud. It's not you have fraud and you have fraud and you (laughs) have fraud and you have fraud. But it is about taking a look at what's going on and trying to recognize those signs. Again, I, I keep beating this drum about this assessment that I have because what I found is that it's so helpful to people to give them that objective litmus test. In my situation, do I need to be worried or not? Sure. It's almost like you're a financial therapist. (laughs) Oh, I feel like it so many times. I really do.
1: But I got to say, trust your guts, people. Trust your intuition. It is so much stronger than anything else. And that is going to draw you hopefully over to Tracy's
0: website where you can find the assessment. You sure can. If you go to divorcemoneyguide.com, you're going to get to where the Divorce Money Guide lives. And at the top of the page, the very top of the page, there's a link there. It's called the red flag assessment, and you can go take the quiz for free. 15 questions, it'll take you about three minutes or so. And here's the thing. I agree with you on trust your gut. Even if you don't take the assessment, even if you don't want anything to do with the divorce money guide, but if you have that little voice inside you that says, I'm really not sure what's going on with the money, start to take some steps to find out if you find out everything's fine fantastic. You can rest easy. So when I talk about taking some steps, what are you going to do? You're going to get your bank statements and start looking through them. You're going to get those credit card statements and start looking through them. Take your tax returns. Look through them. If you've never done anything like this before, find a friend to help you. You know, do you have a friend who is an accountant or who is good with numbers who can look at it? Of course, in the Divorce Money Guide, I lead you through exactly what to look for in these documents, but you don't have to have my guide to be able to, you know, take those statements and tax returns on your own and start looking through them and looking for unusual things that jump out at you. Sure.
1: And this might be too broad of a statement, but I am feeling as though... if. If you are going through a divorce, you should get this guide, period. It doesn't matter how amicable it could be. Money is such a touchy subject and things that are amicable can turn on a dime. I feel like you just want to protect yourself.
0: Do you think that's too broad of a statement? It's not too broad. It's not too broad. 700,000 divorces filed every year in the United States on average. That's a lot. And I started creating the Divorce Money Guide strictly from the standpoint of fraud and how do i help someone find the fraud and find where that money is hidden but the further i got into it the more i realized that anyone getting divorced can use this because it's 10 steps it's a methodical way to take you through what is this financial part of the divorce all about what are the important financial documents that you need to be gathering Where do you go to get them? How do you get your bank statements? How do you get your credit card statements? How do you get those tax returns, especially if your spouse is not turning over the tax returns because they've got a hold of them? And then what do you look for in them? Very methodical so that you can just get your arms around what's been happening with the money. It doesn't have to be a situation where you suspect fraud. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking about how much anxiety and stress
1: and sleepless nights that this could cause for people. Just having a tool like that is going to be really, really helpful and invaluable.
0: I really want to thank you. I want to thank you for having me. You uh, ask such good questions and you have great instincts about what's important about this stuff, where the pitfalls are that so many people have. Thank Such you. a great interview. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Absolutely. It's been a joy talking to you. Tell everybody, again, where to go to find their assessment and their guide. And then you have a special offer for our listeners because you're the
0: bomb. I do. You can type in divorcemoneyguide.com. That will actually route you to my website, which is fraudcoach.com, but it's so much easier to remember, (laughs) divorcemoneyguide.com, right? Yeah. And the special offer is a coupon code for $100 off the Divorce Money Guide. So for your listeners, if they, um, I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes, but if they get to the Divorce Money Guide and they want to make a purchase there, all you have to do is put in the coupon code UT for Unqualified Therapists. That's capital U, capital T. It'll take $100 off for you. Awesome, Tracy. Thank you so very much. I hope that this
1: can help alleviate some anxiety, give some peace of mind to our listeners, and know that there are guides out there and people looking out for you in these tough times, in these situations of change and difficult change at that. So thank you for helping out our listeners. And we'll have to have you on some other time when you're feeling more up for, we can talk, we can share war stories of MLMs. I would (laughs) love that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Tracy. This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner. Theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. All episodes are mixed, mastered, and produced by me, Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this one, consider supporting us on patreon.com slash unqualified therapists, Inc. Or share us with a friend, relative, coworker, hairstylist, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Sharing us not only helps keep the mics on, but it furthers our mission in removing the stigma. If you have a mental health journey you'd like to share, email us at unqualifiedtherapists at gmail.com or reach out to us on our website, www.unqualifiedtherapists.com. Until next time, hold on, warrior. We're gonna make it.